0: Hi, this is Rachel and this is Natalie and we are the InstaMamas. We are sisters with a podcast and we talk about everything from faith, healthy clean living, adoption, foster care, motherhood and and everything everything in between. between. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Natalie here. Uh, Before we jump into the interview with my uh, dear friend, I did want to give a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about the Indian Child Welfare Act. We're going to be talking about child abuse, alcoholism, drugs, and so if these are a trigger for you, just uh, um, be aware of that before um, you listen to this podcast episode. We do talk about some really difficult topics, but... um, there is hope in healing and getting some of these things out in the open and talking about the hard things and having a conversation about them. So, um, I hope you enjoy this, uh, interview and here we go. Hey you guys, this is Natalie here. I'm so excited to interview my dear friend Laura here and, um, we are going to be talking about uh, adoption and, some really exciting topics so she is a mother and a wife and a musician and a music teacher and she has the most beautiful singing voice and is super talented (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah I just uh, we've known each other since college so gosh that was I went to 2008 it's probably around the time I met you yeah a couple years then uh-huh so yeah we've known each other quite a while and then after college Both ended up in the same city, so we got to reconnect. So, I'm really excited. I'm gonna have her introduce herself, and then we'll get into the topic of today. And yeah, so
1: okay, (laughs) that was a crazy introduction. I don't tell you ahead of time. (laughs) Let me make me rethink myself. (laughs) Uh, Well, my name's Laura, and I. I'm a music teacher now, and I have a wonderful daughter who's six years old, and she's pretty much my life mostly. And I always dreamed of being a mother. I think when I was three years old in preschool, they asked me wanted what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said I wanted to be a mom and I wanted long hair. (laughs) (laughs) I have that
0: too. (laughs) Both your dreams have come true. Yes. That's (laughs) great. So funny. (sighs) So today we're going to kind of talk about your adoption story, and why don't you just tell us kind of, um, it's it's an interesting story because it has to deal with uh, some different laws that were passed, and um, so you're from Alaska, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so my entire family is, I'll just say, in the state of Alaska. It's a very big state, and they are spread all around there. Um, One, for the sake of my story, because um, race is kind of pertinent Mm -hmm. to talk about, um, my dad's side is Alaska Native or Eskimo can call it different titles. Um, he's half Indian, and my mother's side is Caucasian. Um, and they all were um, in the Anchorage, Alaska area, which is kind of like the big city, I guess you could say,
0: of Alaska. Yeah. Well, I'll just tell you guys, my daughter is in the other room singing and making a bunch of noise. So just, just a disclaimer there. Um, but, yeah, and you're going to be careful about saying names and stuff to protect the privacy of your family. Oh,
1: yes. I need to say that before <laughs> That's okay. I get going. <laughs> I'll
0: put the disclaimer in the, the show notes, too. But, yeah, you were telling me that. Um, so we will
1: be talking about an extremely touchy subject coming up. I will say that um, I have not even spoken to my family about this. I have tried a little bit, and it just honestly is still really raw and fragile. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, because of that, I will say that my um, perspective and everything that I know totally uh, it comes from papers that I've read. Um, my adoption story was in newspapers and uh, and from some of the uh, court documents that I've read that make no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> well, in there. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, I'm sure that my perspective will be changing as I get older, get more information, Um, and I will also say that uh, when this did happen, it was between the ages of uh, two and six, and I totally have that part of my memory
0: blocked out. So Mm I... um, You're just pulling from... From your own adoption paperwork and yes. what little you can even remember. Puzzle, puzzle pieces of the life. Yeah. yeah. So is your, your adoptive family, I know I hate to call it that, but it just helps people understand what we're talking about, were they open with telling you things, or you kind of had to scrape it all together yourself?
1: Um, not very open, I would say. I think... I'm saying a little too much right away, but I think they always knew that abuse was happening and they uh, probably were afraid to ask me because they Mm -hmm. thought I was really fragile. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, but I um, kind of wish that we had talked about it more.
0: Yeah, when you're finding hope and healing as you learn about your story and dig into it that's amazing and we brave to do that as an adult and say like I you're a mother now and you want to dig into those things and and figure them out so that you can give a better life for even the next generation you know I think that's that's brave and amazing we're already like getting emotional over here (laughs) it's gonna (laughs) be intense guys (laughs) (laughs) that didn't take long well if you have listened to the podcast you know we talk about stuff, and and we hope that, you know, people are interested to, well, I know people are interested to hear your story, and and get hope and healing from that, too, so. Um, hi, Serby. My daughter saying hi to you guys. <laughs> yeah, she's Hubs. so cute. So, um, I guess, well, wh- is there a part of the story you want to start, or some topics you want to talk about, or? Sure, I'll just give a background. Okay. Um,
1: so, my... I'll just start at the beginning. Yeah. That's great. Um, My mother and father were 16 uh, when they had me. Uh, Still in high school. I guess that would be... Would that be junior year? Something like that. It's crazy to think about that, (laughs) guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My dad was a very very good looking native man. Um, He had long black hair and (laughs) swooned I think many women and my mom is also very pretty Um, and they I guess had a love child there (laughs) Um, when I was born my dad was there uh, for the birth, um, but after that, it was kind of spotty. He was sometimes um, involved, uh, but mostly my mother was trying to raise me as a teenage pregnancy. Uh, she did her best. I She got a little apartment, and I think she even tried to move in with her mom for a bit. Um, And my, just to give a little bit of background, my dad was somewhat involved sometimes, but uh, at least from what I've read in papers. and. Dad, I'm sorry if you hear this, and I'm wrong. Um, but the papers say that um, there was kind of a lot of uh, neglect happening and um, drug use and um, no financial help whatsoever. Uh, my mom had to go on welfare and um, do that to raise me. And I, a year I think went by and she was trying. Um, I think they even tried to get my dad in some kind of trade school thing so he could provide, but he just didn't really keep up with it. Uh, so well, they were both so young at the time. Oh, they're so young. Yeah, it's so
0: hard. I couldn't have done that at sixteen. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but they were trying, and yeah, just with a lot of. Right challenges.
1: I am quite amazed that my mom did as much as she did. I really do mean that. Um, Yeah, she stayed strong for a long time and I think actually the ultimate strength that she did have was that she did um, ask her dad to adopt me Mm -hmm. um, when I was a year and a half because she realized she couldn't do it, um, and so that was really brave of her. I bet. Oh it was yeah, really hard. I'm. I can't imagine having to give up a child. Mm. Um, I would, I would think that's probably one of the hardest things, for yeah. a person to go through. Um. And so I, um, my grandpa. Was married to a woman, and this is kind of a miracle. He uh, remarried a year; they actually got married a year before I went to go live with them. Oh, wow. So it was like God, like paved the way, mm-hmm. like to have this uh, stable mother and wow. stable family. Um, That's great. Yeah, and they just. Um, took me in, like, very open arms, um, I did block out a lot of memories, um, from when I was younger, but I do remember just feeling so loved, and Mm. no question of how much they, um, and no question, (laughs) no doubt of that, And, uh, so they became my mommy and daddy.
0: Um, one, even if you're, if you're a child going through that, like, um, even if you can't remember specific details, you do remember how you felt because you had a, a feeling of safety and yeah, yeah. But it was probably really traumatic even, even going to a place of safety because you're still, it's still upheaval and so many changes and. It's hard to understand that when you're just a little baby toddler, you know, oh, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I uh, have no idea. Um, yeah, what that was transition was like. Um, yeah, they. I guess I've heard some. Uh, I'm not sure if I am understanding this part of the story right, but I did. I was crying for my mom as she left the house. Mm. I think that's so hard. uh, That part of me, like, I have no emotional access to. To be honest, (laughs) I don't know if it's
0: just a coping mechanism or something. But yeah, probably your little mind just protecting yourself and figuring out. Because those are, I mean, those are hard things for us as adults to think about and comprehends. So I can't imagine a child navigating all that without... Oh, Anyways, that's... Yeah. So uh, you went to live with, essentially, your grandparents at that yeah. point.
1: Yeah. And they became mommy and daddy um, that was a year and a half. And then about two years old, they um, tried to... Or they were thinking about legally adopting me. Uh, and so they, um found a lawyer and they went to court and on that I think I'm pacing this part of the story right (laughs) I'm not sure they um, had my dad came in and said uh, he did not want the adoption to go through yeah my bio dad stepped in and said um, The adoption shouldn't happen, so they, uh, just let it go, um, and I think before that they might have tried to, uh, see if he had interest in me and wanting a life, uh, but it might have been hard to make contact, I'm not sure, um... And then they kept me for, let's see, a couple years, I think, then. Um, and they did the Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, that's mm. <laughs> it. Which maybe we should have gone with through the whole thing. I don't know.
0: That's hard to know, looking back. Yeah. So they just basically decided to just take care of you and not fight for custody at that point? I think so. Okay. Um, in those two years, I
1: think I might have had two contacts with my dad. One was where we went and visited him and met at a restaurant or something. And then one was this crazy story. I think when I was three years old, he... Uh, hitchhiked all the way from Anchorage to Fairbanks which is a 7 hour drive Okay, oh, big yeah. state guys big yeah. state oh my <laughs> <laughs> um, and my dad also is I think at that point might have had enough DUIs to not be able to drive hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly what that happened but at least when he was raising me the whole time, he wasn't ever able to drive. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he hitchhiked up there, and I think when I was three, and they met at a Denny's, and, man, this might have actually been the first time I saw him. I don't know, and I guess... Uh, he was expect. I, I'm not sure, he was expecting somehow to, for me to be a part of his life all of a sudden, and um. he just kind of came, as it's described in this letter, and this is all I can go by right now, um, came on a little strong, and I was scared of him, I guess. Mm. As a, I
0: mean, yeah, it's was three. <laughs> well, yeah, just like meeting kind of for the first time. So. Yeah, it's
1: like, I'm your dad. I am taking you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to understand. Oh, my goodness. Uh, um, so that interaction at Denny's went very wrong. Uh, my grandparents were really freaked out uh, that he did come on so strong and... I think they said something like, let's just let the courts
0: decide. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no idea how that should have gone down. Um, Like they didn't expect him to want to be a part of your life all of a sudden. Yeah. It sounds like. Okay.
1: I think maybe they were considering like an open adoption Mm -hmm. thing at that point. uh, That that might be the best way to be involved
0: in... Um, my dad's life because mm-hmm. um, they didn't want to just like force no contact at that point because you know it seems like they're really lovely people and so huh. so that didn't go according to plan and it was a little bit it was horrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like just put it mildly yeah oh my goodness so
1: and it was like that set fire to the flame um, to try to legalize this thing So they go, I think, back to court trying to do this thing. The lawyer says, "Uh, you have, we won't have any problems adopting this child. You clearly can financially provide and having a loving home and all that. Uh, And he clearly cannot Mm -hmm. raise a child. (laughs) Oh, yeah, your
0: bio dad was at this point wanting to maybe have you come live with him or...
1: Yeah, so they uh, went through with the uh, trying to legalize the adoption and were just floored to get back to hear about um, the Indian Child Welfare Act, uh, which says that if a child has native blood, then they're under jurisdiction of their tribe. They belong to the tribe.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, so, like, for people that don't understand how, like, Native American tribes work, like, I mean, this is my basic understanding is, like, each tribe is sovereign. They have their own laws, their own government, and the U.S. government doesn't have jurisdiction. Like, even if you're driving through a a reservation, like, they have their own police officers that can pull you over and different laws and stuff. So it's um, different hunting laws, different all kinds of stuff so I think and I don't know too much about the child the Indian what is it again Indian Child Welfare Act yeah, Indian Child Welfare Act but um I think it was meant to protect you know the sovereignty of people and tribes but it kind of had a effect for you and um yeah kind of explain how that worked for you or for your family
1: uh trying to decide should go into the legal aspects of why it's (laughs) as i understand it
0: (laughs) when you i mean you you're not a lawyer or anything you don't have to be like perfect yeah understand the letter to the law (laughs) Uh, but you do you have personal investment in this you know because this is where i think even you know people high up make laws but they don't always know how it's going to affect people in their day-to-day lives you know yeah so
1: yeah um so the indian child welfare act was put in place because um, indian children were being taken from homes just stolen this was actually happening in the late um, 1800s and taken into boarding schools and in the boarding schools uh Many of the uh, headmasters and teachers were just under this very racist uh, rule um, where it was like, what was it? What's the quote? Um, Kill the Indian, save the child. Something like that. Um, So all uh, Indian ways and all that includes their family, they were taken and... um, thrown in these boarding
0: schools where there was lots of abuse happening um it's a really it's something you won't learn in a typical history book but it's a very sad part of american history what was done to these poor children um taken yeah. away sometimes as young as two years old and re-educated in these inhumane uh boarding schools and um You can look it up. Just look up uh, the Indian boarding schools, and it most people don't know about it. I only learned about it because I took some classes in college, and but a really sad time in our history. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, there was a I don't know. It was like big fear of the other, something Mm -hmm. like that, to the point where it's like let's just decimate them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If we can't kill them, just wear them down to a
0: nub, pretty much. Uh, still language, still culture, still, you know, so much of the identity, which is so sad. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that happened, I think, till like the mid, uh, 1900s. So there are still, um, Indian people that were in the boarding
0: schools today. Um, and they have, they remember it, the grandparents, yeah, you know, it's grandparents' age, right? Yeah, they they remember it and still have a very, because that was one of my first teaching jobs. I worked on the Coeur d'Alene Reservation, and right, and a lot of the grandparents were still very weary of of schools and education, and because um, I worked at a at a private school that the Coeur d'Alene Reservation had created, because they wanted a place for their kids to go that wasn't like American public school, and so, but right. that was. I learned a lot in my time there but there's a lot of yeah
1: just um, hatred of kind of the Indian ways and I will also say there you know God's name is slipped in there there's a lot of uh, hurt um, with um, within churches abusing Mm -hmm. their power yeah and them associating God and Jesus with anti Indian, anti their family, um, which is very sad. I hope it's, I think it's something that is healing now, but is still really. <laughs> well, because a lot of <laughs> really the boarding schools
0: were like Catholic schools and they used religion as a way to, to, like you said, keep a whole people group down and it you know obviously it wasn't right and another um, crazy part of my my story
1: is uh my grandmother who is uh Indian she shoot. what would she be I'm not sure if she'd be half Indian something like that she was in the in her native village and her dad was the Russian Orthodox priest of that village and he was a terribly abusive man. Oh, wow. um, just abusing... I don't know if it was just her, but she spoke out against um, what he was doing to her, finally, later in life. And she was actually kicked out of the village for it. Oh, wow. It was like, be quiet. This is up in Alaska. Or leave. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Given that ultimatum, because somehow that man had the deity or whatever like (laughs) there's a lot of religious hurt in here we'll just say that (laughs)
0: well it seems like uh gosh such a a sad scar in that history moving past it and oh anyway so you so that's kind of the the background of the Indian Child Welfare Act so well I I don't what was it made it was made to kind of protect against things like that happening again right
1: right so the kids the, the kids don't get stolen from mm-hmm. their families <laughs> so it's a good thing
0: it started out as a very right a very good thing to protect families and protect tribes and yeah. and try to keep the tribes together because i mean that's we could almost do a whole podcast just on like native american history in the united states i mean oh yeah you can get whole college majors on it i mean there's so much to learn but um. So yeah, so how did it kind of fit into your story and your life? So it was still put in
1: place, um, even though boarding schools are pretty much gone now. I did like do a quick Google search of it, and it said that there was still like four of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, but they're like
0: versus voluntary now. It's not yeah like that yeah the not the
1: day. stealing. Mm-hmm. These statistics also said that, and I read this from a pro Indian Child Welfare Act site, so I don't know how balanced it is. Mm-hmm. But they said that uh, Indian. The, the problem they're still having is that Indian ch- children are still, they believe, being taken from their homes. But now it's through, like, foster mm. and all that. Yeah. But I am going against the grain and I'm probably going to get, like, I might get in trouble for this. I'm sorry if I offend you. Uh, that I think I'm going to... Mm. It's real, and it's kind of mean to say, but I think a lot of these Indian families, pretty much any woman I've ever met uh, that has any Indian blood has been abused.
0: That's so sad. Um,
1: They all, I mean, you can can just tell if you've... um, yeah, and we've talked about it, too. I've done a little bit of, like, tribal outreach kind of programs um, with schools. And the kids, I mean, that's their life. Like,
0: physical, uh, sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, I saw it a lot when I was teaching on the res. Yeah. It was so sad. They, It's, it's, it's like, normalized. That's mm-hmm. the crazy thing.
1: My my dad I'm sure was abused um I think my mom even saw it like uh when I was like a little baby one years old I think she took me to the native village and um his dad was just like beating him up like in front of everyone um and at that point she just I'm gone um so I'm sure and then I think about uh what my dad's, I'm sure my dad's mom grew up with, like it's just, there's definitely a cycle here
0: happening. Mm -hmm. And there's lots, lots of, there's lots of research that kind of connects it back to the boarding schools. They were, these children were taken away from their homes and horribly abused, and then they grew up and had kids and abused them. And it's this generational trauma that needs to be healed. And and so it doesn't, like, explain it away and make it okay, but it's really hard when you, it's like, what is a is the answer to take children away again and put them in safe homes? But I can see where you're really torn how this is a very difficult thing to talk about. I,
1: I've heard, and I haven't done much research on this either, is that... Uh, Native Americans were an experiment of seeing how welfare programs would work on a people. And yeah. let's look at that. <laughs> it's
0: not working, yeah.
1: does not work to be mm-hmm. just given food. There's something... Yeah, it's... Um, and I guess we also have to consider, too, that, you know, like, I've been told entire villages were just decimated mm-hmm. um, because of um, some kind of, you know, like smallpox or something like that whether it was like malicious, sometimes it was maliciously done uh, sometimes, you know uh, people would send like a smallpox blanket or something to a village mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes, you know, it wasn't maliciously done mm-hmm. uh,
0: but oh, for whatever reason yeah. Well, and I think one of my professors in college was talking about how, like, Coeur because we're so, like, and the tribes over here um, in, like, Idaho, Montana, and, like, California and stuff, they got smallpox before they ever even saw Europeans, because the, or they'd see, like, one or two Europeans doing fur trapping or something, but the disease moved faster than... Settlement, And so, I mean, oh yeah, it's just, so some of it was unintentional, some intentional. Okay. And yeah, so it's, but those wounds don't go away. That wasn't a thousand years ago. That was a couple hundred years ago. And the, yeah, it's wild to and the, there are still people alive that were in the boarding schools, which just is crazy to me. I, when I was reading about it, I thought, oh, this had to have happened hundreds of years ago. No, it's, it's pretty recent in our history. And so. It's still in the psyche of many Native Americans to this day, you know? Yeah, yeah. I
1: have had to do a little bit of counseling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my counselor, or I was telling her, I'm like, oh, why am I so tired all the time and in pain? I I have, uh, at least the way it seems like it shows up for me is... And trauma does is kind of these muscle pains, chronically tight muscles, and, uh, fatigue. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like, no wonder that you feel this way. <laughs> you are, you have a cycle that you're healing
0: from that's way older than you are. So it's just like you carry this heavy burden all the time. And so it just, it's a mental burden, but it makes you physically tired. Yes wow but at the same time it fuels me like
1: none other Mm -hmm. I've always like I I can uh it's like I have a superpower I can tell pretty much very quickly if somebody has been through some kind of trauma um it's a little bit of a (laughs) in my line of work I gotta be careful um yeah, and music. Because I'm not just gonna like make it a counseling session or
0: something like that. Though that does happen sometimes. But <laughs> well, don't you think that music is a is an avenue for healing? Oh, for some big people? time. Big yeah, time. yeah. I can There's talk so... a lot about that. Yeah. Well, another. We'll cuff you back and talk about music because <laughs> that's a huge part of your life. Well, so do you think? Um, back to the the Welfare Act, the Indian Child Welfare Act. Don't you think that? Um, good intention too to like keep kids connected to their culture so let's say there really is a dangerous situation and a kid does need to be removed um I think people are afraid oh they're gonna put them with a white family and then they're not going to know anything about their culture anymore and they're gonna lose I mean because that sure. is a that is a fear I mean a lot of um native tribes are afraid they're losing their language they're you know because so few people speak it so um, can you talk to that a little bit, or do you have any oh, opinions on to that? to have wisdom on that is really hard. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think that if you make anything that's not grounded in love, it's going to disappear. It's not going to last over time. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be race, that really is the... Determination. If mm-hmm. that is what the tribe is, then mm-hmm. it's not going to last. Uh, so it needs to be love before everything else. Well, I guess, I mean, what's in the best interest of the child? I believe that maybe at least the in the Indian Child Welfare Act cases, they could at least have. A um, like a guardian ad litem to represent the child's best interest, or maybe a counselor or something like that, could at least say what the psychological Mm -hmm. (laughs) aspects would be if the child were to go to this
0: family or this one. What even a guardian ad litem that was from the tribe? There are so many educated natives, and a lot of the tribes pay to have their, their people to go to school and get educated. And that's what I saw at the Coeur d'Alene tribe is they were all kinds of scholarships. They wanted their people to to go to college and then come back and, and make their tribes better. And right. so even if there was like... Oh, it's so hard to go back, though. It's mm-hmm. like these places...
1: I mean, they're probably not all like this, but they're just really depressing mm-hmm. um, when it's just... You know, alcoholism is normalized and all these hurts and all that. I think that's like the big uh, for any uh, person with native blood, there's always kind of that and I'm sure kind of with any race or whatever, like do I do I have some kind of allegiance yeah. to go and are these my people like even though like they might be bringing me down and yeah there's always that conflict i think
0: of should i go back to the village um wow well because you know i i adopted my daughter from india so she's a different type of indian but that is like, yeah. I, know, it's like <laughs> so that's a, I know i'm like well, the reason it, it's just so that that whole history is hilarious about Anyways, but, you know, I I felt the same way when we were in India. I took all these pictures, and part of me was like, do I show her everything? And obviously, like, I show it to her when she's a, a, the appropriate age to understand it. And But we don't want to hide things from her. We're going to show her the beautiful things about her culture, but we're also going to show her some of the hard things. There was a reason why she needed to be adopted. She didn't have a family, and and so and she came from a very difficult situation and so it it's really hard i feel like you're walking that balance of 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 what's appropriate what's good keep the good parts of your culture and i I was actually you know and i know you pass those things on to your daughter too the good parts of the uh the culture because there are some really beautiful beautiful things about native american culture and and you know um native alaskans that are really interesting you want to pass on but oh yeah how do you pass that on without passing on the generational trauma and the pain and the how do you move forward you know right right
1: yeah yeah my uh my grandparents when i was um that toddler age when i was living with them um they did like put me in this uh some kind of native preschool uh where they were here's a memory i have they were teaching me fan dancing in there and i thought it was totally cool (laughs) (laughs) i still really want to learn a lot of native dances it's hard uh because i'm far away from alaska now but um i think you can still do it even if you're you can still be a part of that culture um, you can do it in a way uh, you can still grow up with some of those those customs I think there are a lot of resources it seems mm-hmm. like um, but it's like if, if they were to say you are forced to do this culture class
0: Mm-hmm know. Like, no. Would
1: people do it? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure they. But maybe the force would be good. Get some native contacts.
0: Yeah, um, I wish there was more. When I was a teacher, I taught American history, and I the unit for the Native American part of that was like two days. That was what was planned into the curriculum, and I did it for way longer than that because part of my what I learned in college and stuff and. Um, we were lucky to go to a school that had a whole minor that was uh, the American Indian Studies minor.
1: Oh yeah. And so you, we actually got to learn a
0: lot about that. But so I made the unit way longer because I'm like, how can you do? Hi, Serby. She's very loud. Sorry, you guys. Um, but how can you <laughs> teach American literature without talking about Native American literature? Like, so I'd bring in some literature and talk about it. But yeah. So, but that's not what kids are learning in school. It's not a. Oh. Especially uh, before college. Like, I, the things I learned once I got to college, I was like, whoa, I didn't even know yeah. any of this was going on. So, they're getting
1: better about it, though, I will say. Like, there's uh, forced <laughs> um, in, uh, in Alaska, anyway, that they have to um, learn Alaskan history. I think they got to take a class in it. Um, Alaska is actually quite. Uh, good at um, at least I would say more than Idaho where we are now. They are you can see the Alaska culture more in just kind of like the everyday buildings. And uh, I don't know how to say it. I would say a little more developed and uh, organized in Alaska. I have a bigger presence.
0: Yeah, and In so much cities, so much a part of Alaskan culture is native culture. Oh yeah. And the clothing and the yeah. how people live, you know. Yep. More yeah. village life, things like that. Yeah. Huh. Well yeah. let's get back to your story a little bit. So we kinda left off where um, your grandparents were working to get custody of you and so how did the Indian Child Welfare Act play into that? Uh, so I think I was around four.
1: At this point, the court ruled that w- my grandparents had ten days to hand me over to my dad for full custody.
0: <sighs> yeah, <laughs> and this is after <laughs> they were you've... floored, floored. They couldn't believe it. You'd been with them for several years at this point, right? Yeah yeah they were
1: mommy and daddy no question I yeah Uh, and my dad at that point I think there was you know he didn't have a place to live of his own I don't think he had a steady job Uh, he I'm sorry dad if you're listening and I'm wrong on this but at least that's what I have understood from the court papers. Um, uh, and he, um, let me see. I think he was just living like with his sister or something like that. Um, so nowhere really steady. And also there were other children made by him that happened after me. Okay. So I was, I think, a year into, or a year after I was born, I got another half-brother. Um, and I'm not sure if there's some others, um, but he wasn't, he didn't have any others in
0: his custody at that point. Okay. Uh, so because the Indian Child Welfare Act, your your father got um he got custody of you yeah
1: full full custody, ten days to leave, but your grandparents were just they didn't they weren't expecting that at all, not right? at all, whoa, yeah, and so they i think filed some kind of emergency thing where I mm-hmm. could like stay with them for a while a little bit longer anyway, and then my mother realizes. Like, I cannot let her live with her dad. Yeah. So she jumps in, says, I want custody.
0: Oh. Um, And that's the reason she did it. Uh, Because she was happy with you living with your grandparents. Oh, yeah. She's the one that she she wanted that. Yeah. And
1: then the court ruled that year. um that I had to. Uh, there was all these nasty things said about you know my mom. Like they like me I don't know. They said she was using like LSD and stuff like that. Like mm. just <laughs> she, anything. She is not the her. type of woman that, I don't know. She I. I just don't think that happened. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um. There was all these weird just so so much hate. Like my my dad like just saw as like the the evil white people taking uh his native child away and um and then my um oh, yeah. so they the court ruled that I had joint custody of or they uh my mom and dad had joint custody of me. Eventually, and I had to be from how like I was saying things were nasty. I had to be. Uh, I'm told, and I do not remember this, that I was escorted by cop cars from household to household. So, so was, you're back in forth. It was that nasty, and the court ruled that. Was allowed to visit my grandparents two weeks,
0: I think, out of the whole year. The people you'd been living with and called mom and dad. And mom and dad, yeah. <sighs> yep. Mommy and daddy, that's so hard. Yeah, that. I. Yeah,
1: is. I think one of the hardest things I've had to go through in my life. Wow. <laughs> ah, just like. Uh, I can't even, I don't even think I quite have the words to express uh, the amount of missing that I had of them, not, um, I mean I think it was pretty much every night I remember uh, crying for them and um, just a life of missing, (laughs) I still, still feel that.
0: Um you missed that time. Oh yeah. Such a such an important
1: time. I was in your life. I was uh flourishing, a flourishing little preschooler. Um, at that point, I was uh extremely social, like everybody was my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> um Yeah, that was I guess kind of Naturally, must be who I am when I feel safe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, then I had to go live, yeah, with my birth parents. And after that, I became extremely quiet. And I could hardly talk to anybody. Like, not really them. Um, maybe... Mm, I I was always blessed with like best friends Mm -hmm. Uh, growing up and them I could kind of talk to but that was it I have had
0: (laughs) how long did that go on for? like when you left your grandparents custody and went into your
1: I'm not really sure I think maybe there was like a year of transition or half a year I'm not really sure um and then I uh I think I went to school I must have started kindergarten or something like that and I was with my mom on weekdays for school and then my dad's on the weekends
0: and that'd be so hard just the back and forth probably by itself and then all the added and they're all kind of far apart too you got. Think that too.
1: My dad and mom lived. Well, they lived in a, the same city at that point. But my grandparents, from where my dad and mom are, is about a seven-hour drive.
0: Wow. <laughs> uh, so you're just back and forth and trying to figure out life and. I have no idea. Yeah. It's totally
1: blocked out. Like, I, I think I just shut down. Like, the the teachers uh, wanted to put me in this, like, um, in a special school because I wasn't learning. Um, and I really was almost put in a special school. Wow. Uh, but it was just because I I shut down. I had to shut down. Things started to change for me in seventh grade. I, um, started, um, band Mm -hmm. (laughs) in class, (laughs) and I just, um, there was this new, uh, side of me that I had no idea. I just really liked to be on stage, and I was finally good at something. Wow. Um, and that... I just kind of made my life this music obsession. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because uh, just it was like on stage, like people noticed me for the first time. And I did feel a certain power that I do, I, I think I have been gifted
0: with. Yeah, um, I would say you're a very gifted on stage. musician. Yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> so I clung to that, <clears throat> and and when I was twelve, I decided uh, to uh, put off contact with my dad, um, and he did uh, threaten to come, like, kidnap me and stuff like that. Um, but I just I had to stop. I had to stop talking to him, and I just lived with my mom for a year, and we were going through a rough spot, and she was a single mom. That's so hard. And I knew, just like, I had this feeling in my gut that music was extremely important to me, and I knew my mom, as a single mom, could not give me the rides that I needed to band and all those kind of extra things. So I asked her if I could go live back with my grandparents again. And that was super hard (laughs) as a 12-year-old to uh, ask that. And I did. I went and lived with them for high school. And uh, I got um, very involved in music, and that kind of started giving me a voice. I started actually having a speaking voice um mm-hmm. i started a uh, a big monumental moment for me in high school is when i uh started the political science club um for obvious reasons of my story i've always had a fascination with politics and how it affects people's lives <laughs> uh, so i um I started that and that um, kind of leadership position uh, it was like people were actually listening to me and that uh, was really transformational for me and then I knew I had to get good grades so I got good grades and kind of the big monumental thing was uh, I was awarded a uh, Gates Millennium Scholarship, which is a full ride uh, scholarship, and it covers room and board uh, and tuition to any school of my choice. And I applied to some smaller private liberal arts schools, which are like 50000 a year. Oh, wow. And I got full rides to all of them. They all Uh, wanted me and it was crazy just like I I don't know like I just wrote my story in their scholarship essays and I don't know it's (laughs) it was important to them (laughs) that's
0: so cool you finally had a way to like the only
1: avenue I had was those essays at that point uh that that scholarship was like the final finally and it's, it's also awarded. You have to be Native to get it. But it is very hard to get. Um, That's amazing. I had to write 10 essays to get it. Um, wow. Yeah, I just whew, busted myself senior year uh, getting ready for all that stuff. Um, but I knew I needed freedom. I knew I needed to leave the state. And I knew I needed to start a new identity. Um so I went to college originally for politics and it was like for the first time people were listening to me, um, other, other students there. Like I was, um, it was a very odd thing for me. <laughs> um, and then I met a Christian boy Joined the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also a kind of deep conviction that I needed to learn more about what the Bible has to say about love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and true love. I was so surprised mm-hmm. by
1: what the Bible said. Um, like just floored. I thought it was like just a whole big judgment book pretty much before. Wow. Um, I actually hated Jesus. It was like a spirit was given to me, mm-hmm. kind of miraculously, uh, to have the eyes to understand it. And then I ended up changing my major because I felt the call of music. Wow. <laughs> and here so I much. am. And I met my husband, and he's this like, just the, the man I needed. Somebody constant.
0: Constant love. Um, is that and... crazy that God knows that? <laughs> he puts you with the exact perfect person, doesn't he? Yes. And you guys are so perfect together. It's <laughs> it's pretty obvious.
1: <laughs> um, I finished my music degree. And now I'm a music teacher. Um, still totally obsessed with music. And i got a six-year-old um, that is also showing quite an aptitude for music yeah i'm not trying to force it on her though but <laughs> i do That's, you know, if you look li- if you listen you might be <laughs>
0: yeah. well, you know how much how it how it changed you and saved you in so many ways and sent you on the path you were going on yeah yeah <sighs> hopefully i don't impose wow. that on her Mm-hmm. what an amazing story i know you've had to like go through so much to get here and I just really appreciate your friendship and your openness and willing to share your story and how you found hope and healing and I don't know it's it's and I know it's going to bless other people too but is there anything else before we wrap up that you just want to tell people and hmm. um
1: I guess just Uh, If anyone does want to reach out and all that, um, it's like very touching for me to have anybody that is interested in my story. Um, So to be asked to do this is a great honor, (laughs) really. Um, It's honestly the only thing I've ever had conviction about. Uh, God spoke to me when I was eight years old. I was going through a time where I wanted to die. He told me that your story is going to be used for someone else someday. And he, he didn't speak to me about love at first or anything. He just, I don't know, somehow my story is a weird mystery. Mm-hmm. I do not understand why it's happened, but all I can say is I have that conviction and if um anyone were to ask me, it's I'll just say it's very touching. Um, I haven't spoken it very much. Um, but I'm in a place now where I can. <laughs> Maybe I don't know if it's my time. It's my time to speak. That's wonderful. Oh. So yeah, if you uh, do want to reach out to me, um, I can do it an email. Um, um, and really, anything um, any bit of sharing, <laughs> any connection. Um, means kind of the world to me to be honest yeah yeah, so I uh, thank Natalie for giving me this opportunity and Mm -hmm. um, just honestly like really surprised Mm -hmm. by this point of life that I am
0: in now so blessed and Well, uh, we want Instamamas to be a platform for women to tell their stories and moms to tell their stories and, uh, yeah, can't thank you enough. You're so awesome. Just love sharing life with you and doing life with you. So, um, yeah, so I'll put her email in the show notes if you want to reach out and, and share you, maybe you have a similar story or you're just blessed by the story. We hope, uh, we hope that there's hope and healing, right? Amen. All right. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening.